welcome to What Do You Think? I'm Al. I'm C. And on this very special edition, our first special edition of the podcast, uh, we are joined by our good friend, Jay. Woo! Hey, it's me again. Yeah, he's 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 stopping. he's really determined to take this podcast away from us. So you mean take back my podcast away from? from <laughs> well, we'll let the lawyers talk that out. Yeah, sure, it's always sure, it's sure. always just good to let the lawyers hash it out. Um, all right, cool. So, what is this special edition of What Do You Think? Well, um, it is a review of Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Now, this isn't done for no reason. Um, Fathom Events, which we're not sponsored by Fathom Events, just a quick, I have to say that now, but <clears throat> Fathom Events replayed Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan on the big screen. Uh, what was what was it, Jay? 40th anniversary? 40th anniversary, 1982. Yeah. Wow. That is crazy. Uh, you mean 1982? Yeah, that's what I said. Uh, I thought you said, never mind. Okay. What? Uh, I thought you said 1992. I misheard you. No, 82. Um, so, yeah, Fathom Events played it, and we thought this is the perfect thing to see in theaters, and we did. And, well, yeah, it was... It was. Let me just say on a total side note, if you are a true cinephile, as often as you can, and believe me, it's not always possible, when any of these like classic older movies gets played again on the big screen... As long as it's like not impossible to get to, try to see it. It's really n- more often than not you'll you'll have a great time with it. Yeah. So um, one thing to add, I feel full disclosure. Uh, I was planning on joining J and C for the for the screening. Unfortunately, uh, life got in the way as it tends to do. <laughs> in fact, see, I was gonna let the lie continue, but okay, that's good. No, 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 no. I, I, I feel like that's only fair. Um, but, but I did see, I have seen the film. <laughs> like I have. I just didn't get to experience the majesty of it on the big screen, which I feel, I, I don't know if you guys would agree with me, but I feel like with space films, you, like the best way to watch them is on the big screen because that's the entire, like, the, the entire thing is to be like to feel like that you are in space with the characters you know you are seeing these incredible uh you know space battles these incredible ships and i feel like the big screen is probably the best way to watch it and you know i have again i have seen the film but you know just i didn't get the fortune to see it on a really big big screen um but anyway in any case uh before we get into the review proper with you two and uh, before we even watch the trailer for Wrath of Khan, um, I would like to, I guess, the most the most obvious question would be your relationship with Star Trek. And uh, Jay, I'll give it to you. Oh boy, how much time do we have? Let's see. Just do um, a, a little bit less than when Al went on a Predator rant. So you have a little, <clears throat> a little bit so less. Screw you, see. Screw you. So I've got three years. Got it. Okay. Got it. Um. So for me, like, like Star Wars, like Indiana Jones, like a lot of the classic big blockbuster uh, hits from like the 80s, early 90s, uh, they were shown to me at a very young age. Um, so I don't, I don't remember ever watching Star Trek for the first time. I just remember always knowing that there was Star Trek. Um, Growing up, 
you know, I didn't watch the shows as much growing up until TNG became a regular uh, syndicated rerun on like pretty much every every channel uh, after school in like the three to five o'clock range. So I was like, I would like watch TNG and then switch over to Tsunami for Dragon Ball Z and and then maybe I'd go back and there was still like Star Trek going on. Um, but also, you know, growing up, we'd watch a lot of movies and especially on Friday nights and the original six Star Trek movies were always in that rotation. Um, and Wrath of Khan was one of them. So, so yeah, I've, I've grown up with Star Trek since, since birth pretty much. Wow. Wow. That's, I, and, I, uh, I even can't say that, but I would ask Jay, um, when when did you remember watching or when did you remember like like being aware that you were watching Wrath of Khan and and how it like and what do you think about the perceived the per, <clears throat> per, the perceived status it has amongst the other Star Trek films uh you know like uh, cuz you know I think I think anyone who listens to this podcast knows that uh Wrath of Khan it runs is in the running for the title of best Star Trek film ever made um, uh, I don't know. If, I I I don't know a lot a lot about Star Trek to know if it's undisputed, but uh, kind of give me your thoughts on that. Um. Well, I mean, as far as like knowing, there's there's kind of a a two part answer that I, like I remember watching it at a very young age, like six or seven. Um. But also, you know, coming back to it when the when the Blu-rays came out, coming back to it after having you know, been a film student. And that's when I really understood a lot of the small nuances and, and the arc that Kirk goes through in here and everything. So, so it's kind of a two-parter there. Um, as far as, as far as where Wrath of Khan stands, it is, it is arguably the undisputed number one of all Star Trek. Um, it is the, probably the most referenced the most parodied and the most called back to um in in universe and out of universe um this is wrath of khan is is number one a lot of people will say that number four uh a voyage home is their favorite and they're not wrong that's a great movie as well but when it comes to like just pure film it's going to be wrath of khan very good, very good. Uh, see, uh, your relationship with the Star Trek franchise. Yeah, and actually, one, before I go into my relationship, one thing that Jay explained to me that I never put together after we saw this movie was that 2, 3, and 4 are part of their own trilogy, basically, uh, the, as it's called the Genesis Trilogy, which, looking back, it makes a lot of sense. They all tie into one another, but I didn't actually fully connect that. I just assumed that, you know, they just were tying random things in from previous movies. I didn't realize they had such a direct connection until I saw uh, Star Trek II Wrath of Khan. Then it all sort of made sense. Um, as far as my relation with Star Trek... I will say, though, okay, I actually do remember the first time I watched Star Trek. I was on vacation with my parents, uh, and my sister, of course, 
And I, I think it was raining out. We were in some, we were in a beach town, but it was raining. So we were inside all day and my dad's flipping through channels and he hits the sci-fi channel or the sci-fi network. And he realizes the credits for a previous episode of Star Trek are playing. And he like kind of gets excited. He's like, oh, Cotton, this is Star Trek. And I, I didn't know what that was, of course. I was very young. I was like, I think maybe nine years old, maybe. And he, he just immediately says, oh, we have to watch this. So I then begin to watch, I watch basically a pretty intensive marathon that day of many episodes from the classic series. I remember I watched what, what I later learned was the second episode in the show ever where they find this guy, or maybe it's the first one, they find this guy and they bring him on the ship, but he's like an alien and he's sucking the life force out of them. And as a, as a kid, that blew my mind. Uh, and then right after that, or at least in the way I remember it, they played the famous Tribble episode, which was, of course, absolutely hilarious. And then they played a bunch of other episodes. One had some Klingons, Klingons in it. One had, they went to a planet, and there was, it was the giant evil computer that was controlling the, the, the tribal beings. Um, and I just remember seeing this as a kid and absolutely loving it. And then learning from a friend when I, because it was summer break, I went back and I was talking to a friend of mine about Star Trek and he explained to me that there were other Star Trek series, in fact, many other Star Trek series. And so I'd, I'd say for like a few years from like third grade to like sixth grade, I was really into Star Trek. Um, but then it kind of died out when I saw Nemesis. Now, when I, was, when I saw Nemesis in theaters, because um, that was the first Star Trek movie I saw in theaters, as a kid, I didn't know it was bad. So I will admit, like, the timing of me then not watching Star Trek as much was purely coincidental. But it is funny that, that, that that's what happened. Um, but I'd say I sort of regained an appreciation for Star Trek years later um, well, of course, when the when the the new you know movies came out, I loved the first one and the third one. The second one, we don't we're not going to talk about that. Um, but I gained a new appreciation for it actually when I became roommates with Jay here, and he he would watch you know he would just have them on in the background a lot, and I really got a feel for the world, the bigger world of Star Trek that was outside of that was more in depth in the uh, outside of the either the classic or uh, next generation because those were the only two I really watched more I should say as a kid um, but never in order or anything like that so yeah I guess Star Trek's were always been a part of my life but like it came in these waves and I always watched the movies very haphazardly I never just found it a goal to watch all of them I still haven't seen all of them I will admit um, I think the first one I saw was uh, First Contact uh, because I was I thought the Borg were cool, um, but this far and above, and we'll get into it later. This really, s you can tell Wrath of Khan set a standard, and there is. My dad sent me an article a while back that explained that Wrath of Khan is like one of the top five most influential movies of the '80s, and I believe it. I completely believe it. Makes sense. 
Uh, but Al, <clears throat> what is your uh, relationship to Star Trek? Um, all right. So my relationship with Star Trek was almost non-existent throughout my childhood. Uh, and, and by childhood, I mean like from from elementary school to middle school. Uh, my best friend, his grandma, apparently is like a was like a hard, hard, hardcore Trekkie in the '60s, like hardcore. So um, in high school, when they when you started hearing that there was going to be a new Star Trek movie. Uh, the the one directed by J.J. Abrams, um, my best friend was like, oh, there's going to be a new Star Trek. My grandma's going crazy. And I'm like, you, she's into that? I, you know, I, I wouldn't even say I'm like a hard, hardcore Star Wars fan, but I would always say like between the two, I would always choose Star Wars. Um, so around that time, he's like, no, you really need to get into it. And I'm like, ah, oh, but the, you know, Everything I knew about Star Trek was from uh, cultural osmosis. So, you know, all the parodies, um, all the, well, yeah, pretty much all the parodies, all the references that you would see in other films and other media. My my detachment with Star Trek was so much that I knew William Shatner as the guy from Boston Legal. I had, I had no idea. I had no idea that that was wow. the guy who... I I had no idea that was the guy who played because I knew who Captain Kirk was vaguely, but I had no idea he was the one who played him until my best friend told me like my like maybe two months before I left for college. He's like, no, that's no William Shatner's Captain Kirk. I'm like, wait, that guy. Oh, OK. But anyway. um, So, yeah, around the time that the reboot came out, uh, I had uh, I had attempted to watch because. You know, I went. I'm, you guys remember this that TV listings would be on the newspapers. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. I found out that like the, like um. What was the Star Trek with uh, Scott Bakuda? Bakuda. Enterprise. Huh? Enterprise. Yeah. I found you're, out you're talking about Scott Bakula. Act back. Yeah, him. Him. Yeah. Uh, I found out that was like in syndication. So I tried watching an episode. I was very confused. I had no, I had no point of reference what anything was. I was like, uh, okay. Uh, and then my best friend said, no, 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 no. Watch one of the original movies. And my library had the first one. And I put it on the DVD player and I started playing it. And I swear to God, like 20 minutes in, I was like, no, this is not for me. And I never, never touched it again. Uh, I eventually saw the reboot on Netflix. Like, remember when the reboot was like on was one of the first movies on streaming Netflix? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's how I watched the reboot, and I said, "Oh, okay." I, I'm really sorry for saying this, but in hindsight, hi- hindsight is hindsight. At the time, I was like, "Oh, J.J. Abrams fixed the problem," because I was bored to tears from the very, very first one, Star Trek: The Motion Picture. <laughs> and in the reboot, I'm like, "Oh, he fixed the problem. This is so exciting." Um, but again, I never really touched Star Trek. Uh, then, uh, I did see, I did see Into Darkness when it came out in theaters with, with a group of friends. Um, and then I believe my, I believe my, uh, one of my friends told me, Hey, if you really want to get a great feel for what Star Trek is, uh, or or what or the best version of what Star Trek is, you really need to watch Wrath of Khan. And, you know, I had already graduated from college. You know, I was like, okay. And he had, like, a special edition of the Blu-ray of Wrath of Khan, and we saw it. 
And as we were watching it, I kept thinking to myself, like, wow, this is really, really, really good. This this blows the reboot and Into Darkness out of the water. Like, out of the water. So, so I, I really, really liked it. And then um, later on, down the line, uh, he showed me what he considered the best... Uh, uh, Star Trek The Next Generation film which was Star Trek First Contact and I, I liked that movie I, I enjoyed it but I didn't like it as much as Wrath of Khan and then uh, Jay actually showed me uh, Star, uh, what was it uh, Star Trek The Undiscovered Country which for me personally is my favorite because while I admit it's not as good as Wrath of Khan just the interplay with all the characters the story the quality of the acting I, I really really dug it I was like, this is one of this is one of like the best things I, I a friend has recommended me. I, I had so much fun with it to the point that I thought it, it literally made me go like, maybe I should watch uh, the original series. And then I was like, I, I don't have the attention span for uh, for a 60s sci-fi show. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's kind of been my my relationship with Star Trek. Uh, I I've not seen the newer the newer shows unfortunately um i've i've never seen i i guess i haven't seen what are considered the bad films um well I, unless you consider the motion picture a quote-unquote bad film but i was only just bored by it but that that's pretty much my relationship with it um so so yeah um you can know. i uh, can i talk about the motion picture real quick sure so all right so star trek the motion picture comes out in 1979 um the original plan was for Star Trek to come back as a series. Um, much like Galaxy Quest alludes to. They come back as a series. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was another film that came out in the 70s uh, called Star Wars that kind of forced Star Trek's hand. They're like, no, all right, we've got to make movies now. Okay. So they make the motion picture, which... In in the motion picture is very slow and it's very boring, but it is the purest form of Star Trek in film. Meaning it is it is it is what the show was all about and and how the show went along. Like there's no phaser fired in in the motion picture. It's all about discovery and understanding and everything, but. What they did was they were still, um, you know, this is still the seventies. The blockbuster was was this brand new thing, so they went the two thousand one A Space Odyssey route with uh, the motion picture. Uh, and then uh, they decided they're going to do a new one, and and they realized all the mistakes they made with the motion picture. So then they make Wrath of Khan, and they and they they it, it's interesting because Wrath of Khan. You know, C does say like it. It is the start of a trilogy, but it's also a reboot as well. It, so it's a reboot slash sequel slash start of a new trilogy. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so that's 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 kind of where the motion picture lies. You have to be a true Star Trek fan to like really sit through the motion picture. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, no. I I in hindsight, I get the. I I totally understand that now. It it makes total sense that you know. They're like, hey, we want to, we want to kind of be the. I don't know if they were explicitly thinking this, 
but do you feel like the motion picture is like the anti-Star Wars? Where it's like, we're not going to do these silly laser swords thing. We're going to be real sci-fi. Do you get, do you get the uh, sense that that was what they were going for? Not really. It, it just felt like they were just going for, you know, putting their show into a movie, really. Okay. Do okay. you do you know the ending of the motion picture? Uh, it it's like it was like that satellite that we sent out. It's to... it's the Voyager satellite. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, but in any case, in any case, which uh, on its own is an is a neat idea. That is an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. So so anyway, guys, uh, how about uh, we put up the trailer, give it a watch. Have you guys ever yeah. seen the original trailer? I have not. Yeah. Okay, so we're gonna watch something from the we're gonna watch something that's from the eighties, and let's just let's just see how how eighties these things can get. <laughs> All right, so give me one sec, and we will get ready to go. Beyond the darkness, beyond the human evolution is Khan, a genetically superior tyrant, exiled to a barren planet, banished by a starship commander he is destined to destroy. Left for dead, he has survived. I'll chase him round the moons of Nibia and round the Antares maelstrom and round Perdition's flames before I give him up. to go on hurting you. I shall leave you as you left me, marooned for all eternity, buried alive, buried alive. Sean! Sean! At the end of the universe lies the beginning of vengeance. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. That's, that's some it. super 80s shit. Damn. Oh, man. That's that... like a pre-80s shit right there. Real quick, so I have to just say, and we'll get two things. One, man, Ricardo Montalban just nails it as Khan. And I, don't, I know even people who, like, the few that don't like this movie, like, will acknowledge that Ricardo Montalban did a great job. But I just looked up something. I didn't know this. Did you know Kirstie Alley's in this? Yes. Even yeah. I knew that. I didn't know that was Kirstie Did you not Allen. recognize her? I did not. How, how did you not? That's like her first role, isn't it? Yeah, that's... It's, it literally said in the credits, introducing Kirstie Alley. You sat right next to me no, listen, and you made a noise when that happened. What noise did I make? 
you were like, oh, okay. <laughs> sure, but I don't You reacted it. to that. Okay. All right, yeah. I believe, I believe you, but still. Well. I didn't well, know Christy I was in that. Or I forgot she was in it. No, I, I remember the first time I watched that was like, hey, that's Christy Alley. And my friend goes like, yeah, yeah, no, her first ever role. And she's she's really good in this, actually. Uh, she, kind of the first scene of the film, if I'm not mistaken, is kind of about her because she's doing the uh, the Kobe, Kobe, Kobayashi Maru. Yeah, she's doing the Kobayashi Maru. Was this was this the first time uh, they showed the Kobayashi Maru uh, test? It is. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. So, so I remember I was like, oh, I, I like this version much more than the one that was in the reboot. Um, but no, I, I remember going like, oh, Chrissy Alley. And oh, wow. And then, you know, the way that scene ends and she's kind of like, oh, I, I want to learn from this guy. This guy this guy is a guy I should be following around, which, if I'm not mistaken, was uh, Captain Kirk. Um, mm-hmm. But So, um, listen, again... I didn't get to see the movie with you guys, but I do remember my feelings when I first saw it. So I won't be saying as much during this review. So the few little things I will say, I'll get out of the way. And I'm, I'm just going to be more like kind of asking you guys questions. So, again, after having experienced the motion picture roughly six years beforehand, six, seven years beforehand, I was like, ah, the original Star Trek's not going to be for me. I, I have no reason to watch it. Um... I knew through pop cultural osmosis that oh, Wrath of Khan is considered "quote unquote" the best one overall. And when my friend said, "Hey, we should, we, you should watch it," it's actually like, like just for a cinematic cinephile type deal, you should really watch it. We sat down and I saw it, and the first thing that hit me was that the cinematography is gorgeous and the visual effects are amazing. Um, but. Whereas I would also say this, the visual effects in the original motion picture were just as good. The filmmaking felt more emotionally driven, I guess I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know what? I definitely felt that Wrath of Khan is a character study. And it has a plot, but it's very much concerned about its characters, wants us to see our characters going through tribulation and then just, you know, overcoming the obstacle. In this case, it's Khan. Whereas Khan is like, I'm going to be the most devious, full of shit, bad guy I can be. And Ricardo, like you said, Ricardo Montalbán sells it. And I remember after watching the film, I said, okay, that's an amazing film. I totally see why this was one of the, one of the iconic films of the eighties. I, to- I can totally see that. And I-, I have to say, it's one of the best performances I've ever seen from William Shatner. I haven't seen a lot of things with William Shatner, but this is by head and shoulders, one of the best performances he ever gives. Uh, the third act reveal, he sells it for all it's worth. I really believe it. Um, well, you know, there are, there are sort of two reveals involving uh, Captain Kirk. And both of them, you believe, because of the strength of William Shatner's performance. Uh, Leonard Nimoy, holy fuck. He made me tear up. Now, here's the crazy thing. I, I, the scene where he made me tear up, they recreated in the in the reboot series. And I remember just going like, I'm very confused. Why is everyone, like, mad? 
Uh, and then I saw this and I'm like, okay, I can see why people are, were mad. I, I would have been mad too if I was like a hardcore uh, Star Trek fan. Um, every Everybody in the crew has a chance to shine. Uh, like I said, uh, DeForest Kelly. Really and truly, it was... It was this film that made me really like DeForest Kelly, where I was like, okay, yeah, no, I, I totally get that snarky Southern doctor thing. I, I got it. And it, it's actually, Jay, if you remember, when we saw The Undiscovered Country, I was like, I think, I think uh, uh, the, I think the Dr. McCoy is now my favorite character because mm-hmm. he's, he's so, <laughs> he's like so snarky. And this and it's interesting because both this and Undiscovered Country were directed by uh, Nicholas Meyer. So I think maybe he also has a soft spot for him. Uh, uh, Scotty also, uh, when, when Scotty's like, oh my God, it's Khan. Uh, that was Scotty, right? Or was that... Uh... That was Chekhov. Chekhov, you're right, Chekhov. When Chekhov was yeah. like, oh, Khan, I was like, oh shit, this, this is a problem. Uh, you know. So and then... fun, fun fact about Chekhov, I'm sorry to cut you off there. Sure. Um, Chekhov is not in the original Space Seed episode. And people caught this. So so the headcanon that people have was that Chekhov was like a security officer or something, but he wasn't on the bridge. And that's and he ran into Khan at one point on, on the Enterprise. And that's how they remember each other. But um, Chekhov, the actor, he was not in the original episode. Mm, okay, okay. Well, that may, that, that's, kind of, that's a little nice bit of trivia. Well, in any case... I really enjoyed the film. I, man, I remember even telling my friend, man, I would love to see this on the big screen if they ever do like a re-release. And unfortunately I had to miss it. But, uh, but yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, so uh, Jay, re-watching this, this, was this your first time re- seeing it on the big screen? Uh, second time. Oh, second time. Okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. All right when, just... when, they, when they do things like this, I always make sure I make, make, uh, make time for it. All right, so um, yeah, your your thoughts on the film then? I mean, this is one of my favorite films of all time. It's in my top ten of all time. Um, I I decided a, a while ago that when I get my midlife crisis or turn fifty or, or just start feeling like super old, this is the movie that's gonna help me get through it. <laughs> um, yeah, because of because of Kirk's arc, it's such a great arc. He's He's clearly miserable in in his pseudo retirement as admiral, and his friends are calling him out on it too. They're like, "Hey, you shouldn't have uh, accepted promotion. You should still be on a ship, captain your ship." Um, and then he gets that chance again, and 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 uh, you know, it gets really good right at the point where they're on the Genesis planet. And he's talking to Carol Marcus, the mother of his child, and he's like, "There's a man out there I haven't seen in fifteen years who wants to kill me, and you show me a son who would gladly help him." And it's just like, it all comes down and all comes out right there. Like, Kirk is Kirk is starting to feel regret for his life, for for his actions, for for how things have turned out, and he's and he's really struggling with it. And then all of this shit happens on top of it, and and he has to work his way out of it as well as get his crew home safe. And uh, it's such a great way to make a big epic really personal. Um, and I, I've always appreciated that, and I love that. Um, 
the ship design is always is always you know one of my favorite things um in, in a star trek movie you have to get the 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 big shots of the ship um and and the music the, the one thing i caught this time was that each ship has their own theme and i really appreciated that as well um fun fact about some of those exterior shots uh the Klingon vessels and the Kobayashi Maru test at the beginning, and then everything at the Enterprise in space dock is from the motion picture. They just recolored it and uh, re-edited it and put it in this film. Hey, that's one way to save money. Yeah, Star Trek. Star Trek reuses shots famously. There, are, there, are, there are shots in like Deep Space Nine that are from movies. And yeah, sometimes you see, sometimes you see the same Klingon bird of prey blow up, couple sometimes and everything. And then like in Enterprise, every time the Enterprise comes out of warp, this was when they were using full CGI for ships. You see the Enterprise come out of warp and then like correct their course to the left a little bit, just and they're just reusing shots all the time. <laughs> so, uh, something you mentioned that I wanted to that I wanted to talk about, but it slipped my mind. So, I'm sure you already know this, Jay. But uh, Wrath of Khan was one of the first uh, films that had uh, James Horner as the composer. For those mm-hmm. that don't know, James Horner is famous for composing uh, Titanic, uh, Avatar, uh, films that are kind of near and dear to my heart, uh, such as uh, The Mask of Zorro, uh, An American Tale. Uh, unfortunately, he, uh, he passed away some years back. Uh, and his last film was, uh, I believe, the the remake of of the Magnificent Seven. But th- this is a guy who's like who's like composed a, a lot of like a lot of uh, really really good movies. He also did um, what was what was the 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 underrated one that people are always like, oh, I forgot he did that. Um, oh, you guys may not like the movie, but. Uh, he did the music for Bicentennial Man, which that music's the only reason I, I tear up at that movie. It's the one where, it's it's the one where Robin Williams is a robot. <laughs> Bicentennial yep. Man is. I'm not gonna say it's a great movie, but it, there is something very unique about it that makes it weirdly watchable. It, yeah. Again, I'm, I'm not gonna go around and say it's this undiscovered classic. No, no, no. Yeah. But there is something very watchable about it, and I can't fully explain what that what that is. So, so back to James Horner. Uh, so I, I've listened to Star Trek music, and I'm like, okay, I can see why people like this. It's not really my thing. But Wrath of Khan was the first time where I was like, oh, no, I like this music. Like, like his versions of the theme, I really, really like. Uh, him and Michael Giacchino's are the versions of the theme that I really like. But I don't know. Just the, the music, like you said, the music in this film, I feel like is really what pushes, what pushes this film into just that excellent t- territory because, like... It underscores everything, and it just heightens the emotions in the most perfect way possible. I, I, I'm sorry. I just the music here was one of the things that I gushed about the first time I ever saw this. I was like, "Holy crap! This is really, really good music." And like you said, it's it's very intentional. Uh, the themes are very intentional, and it, it, they just fit the scenes so well. So, I have to say, seeing this on the big screen for me was one of the best cinematic experiences of this year for me. It 
so yeah, let me start off by just acknowledging that. Um, like I've like I said earlier, though I had phases where I was really into Star Trek, I've only seen some of the movies. I can say I've seen, uh, let's see, f- uh, Voyage Home, First Contact, um, Nemesis. Uh, the I've seen all three of the uh, the latest ones, of course, um, and I've seen Jay. There's one I watched with you. Um, it uh, was number three. It was the Search for Spock. Search for Spock. Okay, I've seen Search for Spock. Um, and I've seen parts of Undiscovered Country. I need to see the whole thing, but we'll get into that later. Um, but that that's all I've seen. Oh, and I've seen, like, clips of the one with the Nexus, but really not too much of that one. Um, so, of the ones I've seen, though, obviously, as I, Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan is the best one I've seen and will likely be the best one if I, when the day comes that I've seen all of them. And prior to this, my favorite one that I had seen was, uh, was First Contact. Um, again, I didn't love First Contact, but I did really enjoy it. I, and what I realized looking back now, what I really liked about it, other than the inclusion of the board, which I thought were just such a cool villain, but also, First Contact was very personal for Picard. It was his, it was his, de- like, he, it was literally him fighting his demons. Uh, and they did it very, it was, that aspect of it was done very well. Like, he truly feared the Borg. Like, he was terrified of them. And that personal level really, really made it work. Um, that's all, that, personal level is also really what makes Wrath of Khan work but even more so and it's not just in the acting and the writing but it's the cinematography is deeply personal Uh, even the sound design like that one moment when okay guys spoiler alert because it's been around for years uh, when Spock literally sacrifices himself to save everyone and Kirk is so devastated he doesn't even turn on the intercom to speak to Spock. He just yells through to try to get Spock's attention. Um, is such a great human moment that is that cut so, so, so deep. And that's what makes the villain con so great, too, is that, yes, he's obtained this incredibly powerful, literally world-changing uh, weapon, but that has hardly anything to do with his motivations. That's not what he's after. He got it be- on his quest to find and defeat Kirk. Um, it oddly enough, I got a few. I got some thoughts of Master and Commander as well from this. Obviously, Wrath of Khan came out way before, but just the way it was, just these two ships duking it out or trying to, avoiding each other and attacking each other and going back and forth. There was something very classic about that. Well, we'll see. That's, it's funny you should mention that because uh, Master and Commander is from, uh, is from uh, a book series from uh, Patrick 
O'Brien. He wrote mm -hmm. them. He wrote them like he wrote Master and Commander in '69, right? Okay. Uh, and the thing is, is that isn't isn't that inherently what what Star Trek is? Is this this Navy explorers? They're Navy explorers. Uh, so pretty much uh, a lot of a lot of I. You're right, but a lot of what what it is is it's more submarine, yeah, uh, yeah. versus submarine kind of final, yeah. So, so this being, because Master and Commander, it's it's about two two captains, one British who's the point of view we see, and a French guy who we don't see. Mm. The the in broad strokes, the plot of Master and Commander fits very well with the plot of Wrath of Khan, even and with the uh, even with the 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 device because. Literally, they're they're going to like the Galapagos Island, and that there's kind of like that whole new life aspect to it as well. And oddly enough, and if you guys have ever read the novel, the novel is pretty much an excuse to show you how cool it was to be to be a a, a, a sailor during the Napoleon era. And like one of the things about Wrath of Khan is that man, it makes it so cool to be in outer space. I mean, I mean, the world's in danger, all of life is at stake, but you know. It's 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 just really really cool, and I think it it embraces that really really well. Like this is a film that if they ever did like a if I know they can't they because you know physics, but if there was ever a film where you can scan the thirty five millimeter print and somehow, you know, somehow blow it up so that it can be on an IMAX screen, I, I that the, Paramount would make a lot of good business doing that. But uh, the the grain might be a little too much. <laughs> yeah, but what I'm getting at is what what really makes this one special is how personal it is. Um, there's even moments of genuine like I, I wouldn't say it was actually scary, but there are mo there are really cool moments that you would find in the scary movie, like when they're on the research vessel and Ahura is trying to contact them, and you see the TV screen. And she's just trying to reach out to them, but they're in there and they're in suspected danger. It's that's such a cool moment to use and raise tension in such a great way. Um, I, but when I was in that theater, I felt like a kid again, and I hadn't felt that way in a, you know, when seeing a movie, I should say, in a hot minute, uh, especially an older movie. Um, so I without a shred of the doubt say that this movie was far and beyond far and beyond what i expected um because i'll admit what i was expecting was yeah this will be cool and i'll get to say see the big the famous moments but it's just gonna be sort of a standard star trek movie you know but it was anything but that mm. uh, truly truly anything but mm -hmm. so and, uh, uh, you, sorry, you know what? You know what both Master and Commander and this movie take from? What? Moby Dick. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Khan is quoting Moby Dick the entire time in this film. Oh, you even see a, a copy of Moby Dick, too. You even see a copy of Moby Dick when Chekhov notices what ship they're on. There's a copy of Moby Dick and some other classics there. And then and it's obvious It's obvious Khan's been reading it like over and over and over again. He's got it memorized. Mm -hmm. Which... On a total side note, I am currently trying to read Moby Dick, and I took a four-month break. I will get it back to it. It is hard. It's it a hard is, book. It's so hard, and they're barely on the boat. It's like, 
But um, I will finish it at some point. I, I do intend to get back to it, but it is by and far one of the hardest books I've ever read. That book took me three months to read. It was probably the longest it's ever took me to read a book. No, it's it's a lot, but it's an American classic. I feel like I have to. But either way, it's it, that's a te- that's a separate issue. Uh, so before before we all give our our kind of our review or you know our our scores, I do want to ask both of you uh, one, one simple question. Do you do you guys after having recently watched it? Do you guys think that? What do you, what do you guys think that that the franchise? Because you know the the Star Trek franchise is still chugging along. They're trying to make another movie with the reboot cast. Uh, there they there's like a bunch of series on Paramount Plus. Um, what do you think that the series, the people who are running the series now, what can they take away from this to kind of to kind of give that awesome that that awesomeness from Khan to to their to these current projects? What do you think they can take from that, or what they can learn from this film and give it to the upcoming film and and the series that are going on right now? Jay, you are the most caught up with the current series, so I'm going to let you answer that first without a doubt. Okay. All right. We're going there. Uh, they... <laughs> they need to take the simplicity of, of this movie. And I'm not saying Rathacon is simple or anything, but but the arcs and the narratives and the goals are all straightforward. Khan wants revenge. Kirk is feeling old. The scientists are trying to protect a super weapon. You know, everyone's got a goal and an objective and and something to do and and everyone learns something at the same time. You know, there's 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 a resolution to everything and and they don't waste their time on anything and they don't they don't stretch it out as much as they can uh and i think i think you know aside from you know lower decks and strange new worlds they just really need to learn how to just move the plot along and and really focus on on more singular goals that they're trying to do mm-hmm. well um okay so i'll start off with uh with my my score i guess oh uh, real all i'll say is jay that's exactly on point for what little i've seen uh of the new series um and from what i've heard uh just yes, simple. Even though that sounds a little mean, it, it's it's not it's not meant to be. But I also would but think like what sorry what they're doing what they're doing now is like they're taking one big giant arc for the season, and especially with Discovery. Like they always mention the big problem per episode to remind the audience, oh yeah, that's happening. But then they fill it with all these super personal issues for each character and that's well that's never been star trek really like it's always focused on you know every episode after tos has like mostly focused on like one character's point of view or something um 
and and let them have that arc and everything but you know this one they're just they're just packing so much in and it gets so colluded and confusing and just you you they have to remind you what the big issue is because you keep forgetting it and that's yeah i'm i I, don't let me rant (laughs) don't let me rant okay we won't let you rant we'll stop you so uh having you know again it's kind of more deep in my memory but i can tell you this uh the the sentiment i felt after i finished watching that it was that that was that was uh a space flight flush for me it was it it was exciting the characters were engaging the cinematography incredible the the visual effects stunning especially again this is the 80s and there were times where i'm like oh no that's a real spaceship you know like the only other film that ever did that for me from that era was empire strikes back where you know and i think that had a lot to do that the models are so detailed like they're really really detailed um and i I, i'd be interested to see like like kind of actually jade what were the size of those models um so when we finally get you to dc and we take you to the smithsonian we will be able to show you the original uh tos enterprise which is about uh eight feet long holy yeah so these ships these ships are these ships are big you know they're they're solid um because they've got to get you know camera shots and everything with them they're not they're not miniatures they're you know in between eight to twelve feet long each um uh and you know they shoot it with backdrop and and everything to get you know your force perspective and everything um i know yeah, like the the original like Deep Space Nine space station is like fifteen feet. It's huge. Oh, um, wow. But uh, the thing about this is like they also they reuse ships all the time. Uh, not not your flagships, but like uh, the Reliant ship uh, was used in a couple more episodes of like the the Next Generation um, when they needed like a throwback ship or something. Um, and, and then the ship that comes up, the big ship that comes up in the next movie, the search for Spock, the Excelsior, um, that model is the most used model in all of Star Trek. And it's, it's the most, uh, seen outside of the, uh, the, the main cast ships, if you want to call them that. Um, and it, it was used from... The movie, the search for Spock, all the way up until uh, Deep Space Nine switched to CGI. So they they saved these ships and they reused them or they remodeled them or repainted them or whatever. Um, yeah, so actually, actually, uh, uh, see when I eventually show you Generations, the there's the Enterprise B, um, mm-hmm. uh, and and the the Excelsior ship that you saw in a search for Spock, it's the same model. They oh, just wow. rebuilt it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh wow. Yeah. So they they really they really you know they recycle ships they recycle shots they really knew how to save money and and you know recycle everything they had, which was great and which is part of part of the magic of Star Trek and part of the fun of Star Trek is that if you can like point it out and figure it out you're like okay this is from that episode this is from this movie you know kind of thing so yeah. 
Mm. Okay. Okay. Wow. Let it not let it not be said that Paramount and uh, well, I guess Viacom now. Viacom isn't hasn't gone all in on on the Star Trek series or Gulf Gulfstream and Western when when they were. I always forget who owns Paramount, but good to know that you know the people still see like oh we should we should invest in this franchise again i wouldn't say i'm a super mm-hmm. fan but it's good to know that you know there is the the care there you know although uh, yeah conventions are still going on man it's 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 a huge fan base yeah um i i was actually just looking now that the next film is potentially going to be directed and written by uh, noah hawley the guy who's the showrunner for fargo and legion oh wow okay yeah, so he's currently he's currently the guy who's writing and directing. So that's that's a one eighty from the bad robot guys. So it is, no, they're basically they just sent a strong message about what they felt about the bad robot guys, which that's a whole other thing. Like the first one is fun, the second one, for obvious reasons, was terrible. Um, the third one I actually had a good time with though. Beyond, mm-hmm. I thought that one was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyways, I need my... to see that one because everyone always tells me no, no, no. Beyond is beyond is great. Beyond or not great. Beyond is fun. Is yeah, beyond is really fun. Beyond is really fun. Uh, so, uh, so see what what do you give it? Oh, this this fucks right over the moon. This oh really was amazing. Um, I think I'm more surprised by how much I liked it. Let me be clear. I did not think I would not like it. I'm not trying to say that. I just genuinely held it with the other expectations that I've had. For Star Trek movies, which was very enjoyable, but like not gonna, you know, be so earth shattering for me. But this really, this movie fucks without a doubt. Um, and it's very special. Uh, for the record, yes, you should see it in the big screen. When that happens again, I don't know, another five or ten years. Uh, but when they do that, this is why I say, like, some of the best cinematic experiences that I've had in the last few years have been seeing older films on the big screen. They're really, they're, because, especially if you really go back, because they were, like, really made for the big screen. Obviously, movies are still made for the big screen, but really, it was, like, their only focus. The concept of a TV was really very secondary, for a long time. So you see these movies and it's just like you're witnessing how they were meant to be seen. So I can't recommend enough, you know, pay attention to Fathom Events. If there's a movie that, you know, you see the movies, try to see at least half of them, I would suggest to anybody. It's just, it's always worth your time. Always. Um, but yeah, so, this movie so, talks. So we already know Jay's score. Like, uh, does it need to be said? So let's just move on. Let him say it. it Let him say fucks. Say your... It fucks. <laughs> yeah, it fucks. Uh, Al, I'm convinced that if you had, if you were there with us, uh, your answer would be a fucks. You know what? I I don't deny it because that's just how watching something on a big screen does. It it always, especially for films like that, it's it's just so so hard to to not be like just enraptured by just how good a story being told on a big screen is you know that's why i will say alan this is like one of the this is in the top five of like older movie big screen experiences for me oh no Um, no doubt like 
Like, you want to know why? I'm For me, I'd probably... For the record, Ben-Hur or Blade Runner is probably number one, but that's a separate I, I did see Ben-Hur on the big screen. Uh, so did Jay. Uh, I did not. I've never seen Ben-Hur. Seen Wait, you, what? You've never seen Ben-Hur? Never seen Ben-Hur. Oh, I misheard him. Sorry, I, again. No, oh, Ben-Hur... If that plays again on the big screen, no, I'm taking. We it. saw we saw Blade Runner on the big screen. Ah, uh, because we saw we did the double we did the double feature with Blade Runner the final cut, and then Blade Runner twenty forty nine in the same in the same sitting. Wow, uh, what did you guys do to wake up your legs? Coffee. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of coffee beforehand. Okay, and stretching between. So, yeah. So what I was gonna bring up was that like the sound just must have been mind blowing, like. Mm-hmm. yeah like just the sound design the ships you know makes you really feel like you're in space oh yeah oh yeah no yeah. all right that, that reminds me because because i remember like the the earworm scene really like the sound was great for that one when they're screaming and everything um but i just remembered see i almost did something to you that my dad did to his friends one time they saw this movie which was give you a wet willy during that scene. No. Oh, I'm so happy you didn't do that. My my dad did that. My dad did that to his friends on the screen of this movie once and they freaked out. Oh, no. That would have... I would have not reacted yeah. the best. No, I thought about it. I was like, nah, I'm not going to do it. Mm, okay. All right. Cool, cool, cool. So, yeah, no. Uh, for those who've never, ever seen... Uh, an OG Star Trek film, uh, Wrath of Khan. Like yeah, I know Star Trek: The Motion Picture is the first one, but I think we can all agree Wrath of Khan would probably be the one everyone should go see first if they've never experienced Star Trek before. Uh, I, for, for my money, motion pictures should, should probably be experienced if you re- if you're really into like into what Star Trek the what Gene Roddenberry wanted Star Trek to be. Well, I think at the end of the day, Star Trek. When watching the Star Trek movies, you, though it does matter, as I've now learned, having like looked back, but I can also attest, literally, seeing them in the order in which they were made is not entirely necessary. Mm. You'll be okay. Uh, as long as you have some background with the series, you're good. Okay. All right. Cool, cool, cool. All right, everybody. So uh, that's been our review of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Uh, this has been What Do You Think? I'm Al. I'm C. Oh, no no, no snarky comment, Jay? Really? Well, I don't need to. Your audience already knows this is my podcast. <laughs> listen, listen. <laughs> I don't have to keep reminding them. Your audience is smart. They and by already the way, know. By the way, Al, how long is it going to take for you to edit out Jay's breathing this time? You know what? Let's, oh, let's, let, let's not, let's wow, not be antagonist. That was mean. That let's that not was mean. that let's mm. not be antagonistic here. We're all we're all friends here. We're all children of God here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are we're, we? And on the next episode, we're gonna talk about the screening of the room we went to. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Take care. <laughs>